All right, all right. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. Good to see each and every one of you here today. Um, you are the brave ones who weathered the storm to come to church today in a very real way. I tell you what, the next person that I mentioned the rain to who says, we sure need it, is getting punched in the face. <laughs> like, the last two weekends, not counting this weekend, the last two weekends alone gave us all the rain we needed for the year. We're about a trillion gallons past, we sure need it. We're at, please stop. My wife and I were out of town. We got home, and uh, 30 feet of retaining wall had collapsed behind our house. And uh, the hillside is dogpiling the retaining wall. And, you know, I, I, I called a contractor, and he's like, you got to build a new wall, the whole wall. We have 130 feet of retaining wall. He's like, you got to replace the whole wall, and it's going to cost $38,000. Your insurance to cover it. And I called the insurance. They're like, we ain't covering it. We're only covering the 30 feet that fell. So I'm like, I can't pay for it. You know, he's like, well, I can do it anyway. At the end of the day, Ade came up and buried a Christmas tree and some sandbags. And that wall will hold for the next couple years. And I was like, how do you know how to do this? I mean, I saw he was like hooking that hill up. He was like putting seeds like here. This one we grabbing mulch and throwing it. It's like, how do you know how to do this? And he goes, oh, I used to build retaining walls in the forest. I was like, of course you did. You know, and I say all that to say this, that you have no clue who you're sitting next to. I called him to ask me, to ask him just to help me fill some sandbags. And he basically built a wall for me. I knew he knew how to fill sandbags. I didn't know he knew how to build a wall. And the point I'm making is you have no idea the gifts of the people who are sitting around. Sometimes God puts people in your life who are gifts to you, but they don't look like gifts to you. And because they don't look like gifts, you don't ask them for nothing. And you have not because you ask not. Today, the subject of my sermon is the Egyptian in the field. The Egyptian in the field. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. 1 Samuel chapter 30 verses 1 through 4. This is what it says. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. Remember that it was the third day. Say the third day. That the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, verse 2, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Father, speak to us today by the power of your spirit and your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Part one, the rejection. The chapter before this transpires is chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. 
because 29 comes before 30. In chapter 29, to catch you up on what's happening, David and his men are living in the region of the Philistines. The Philistines were the enemies of Israel. David and his men had been driven out of the land of Israel because King Saul wanted to kill him. So David was running for his life. He defects to the Philistines. And now there's a battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, and David and his men show up to join the battle on the side of the Philistines. And so David and his men, they said to themselves, now we get to show what we can do. Because, see, we've been living here with the Philistines, but they don't know us. They don't know our gifts. They don't know our talents. They don't know our abilities. They don't know our anointing. They don't know our power. They don't know our history. They don't know our track record. This is our opportunity to show what we can do. You ever been there? Where you're working at a job, but they don't know you. You're teaching in a school, but they don't know you. You're attending a church where they don't know you. And because they don't know you, your gifts have no platform. Your abilities have no opportunity. Every ability needs an opportunity in order for it to manifest. Some of you have been in a place for years where they just don't know you. And because they don't know you, they never give you a chance to shine, to show what you can do. David and his men said, this is our opportunity to show them what we can do. And so when it was time to line up for the battle, David and his men lined up for the battle. But where did they line up? They lined up at the very back of the army, the very rear. Why? Because we're the new kids on the block. We don't have a place at the front, so we're going to stand at the back. But you watch what happens when we finally get into the battle. They're going to be like, dang! Achish was the king of the Philistines at that time. He was sitting on his throne. He saw the army lining up for the battle. He saw David and his men. He was like, yeah, because he loved David. He thought so highly of David. He was excited about having this great warrior on his team. But the, the leaders of the Philistines, the generals of the Philistine army, didn't like David so much. Why? Because there was this song they used to sing in Israel. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Of Philistines. And they saw them at the back of the army? And they were like, hold up, generals, let's go see the king. They went over to King Achish. They're like, you have to tell them to go home. He said, why? He goes, you're putting them at the back? Behind us? Now see, they must have been from East Oakland. Because the one thing you never do is have somebody behind you who's questionable. If somebody's behind you and they're questionable, you don't know what their intent is, you walk like this. (laughs) They were like, you want them behind? Mm Mm-mm, send them home. The king's like, why? What have they done? Because I don't care. I tell you what they did before they came here. They killed tens of thousands of Philistines. Send them home. They're not fighting. I'll tell you what's going to happen. In the middle of this battle, they're going to attack us from behind while Israel is attacking us from the front. And and what better way for him to win the favor of his master than to take the heads of the Philistines? Mm -mm, They're not going to war to us. You send them home. 
So Achish calls in David and his men, and David and his men don't know what's going on. They're probably thinking, we're about to get promoted. He's about to send us to the front line. He's about to give us a special task. He's about to make us like special forces or like the Green Berets or something. Navy SEALs, the Philistine SEALs. I don't know what you call them. He says, sorry, but y'all got to go home. So what do you mean we got to go home? You can't fight in this battle. Why? What have we ever done? It's not about what you've done, but the Philistines, the lords of the Philistines, the, the generals, they don't trust you. And I can't send you out to battle if they don't trust you. Sorry, you need to go home. And so King Achish, this is what he said. He said, tomorrow morning, you guys wake up early before the sun goes out, and you hit the road. I need y'all out of here immediately. David and his men were so disappointed. I thought I had an opportunity to shine. And now I've been rejected. And they woke up early in the morning and started their journey home with their heads held low and their tails between their legs. You ever had an opportunity that just fell through? You thought it was an open door and it just slammed in your face? Really disappointing. And they're walking home. It's about a three-day journey home. They're three days away from home. They start early in the morning. They got a three-day journey home. What they didn't realize is that while they were out on the battlefield trying to flex their muscles, pursue their dreams, manifest their destinies, maximize their moments, live their best lives now, their families were back in Ziklag being ravaged by the enemy. While they were out on the battlefield pursuing their dreams and fighting for greatness, their families were three days away on the, at home being ravaged by the enemy because their absence from the home left their families vulnerable to attack. There was a group of people called the Amalekites. And when David and his men arrived back at Ziklag on the third day, Keep that in mind. They find their whole city burned to the ground. All of their possessions carried away. But even worse, their wives and their children, and by extension their elderly, even their moms and dads, had been carried off by the Amalekites, and they're gone. Now imagine this moment. Part one. Rejection, part two, complete devastation. What do you feel in that moment? You just got fired from your job, and you get home, and your house is burned to the ground, and your family is gone. Complete devastation, complete loss. Put up verse three. Look at verse 4, actually. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. This was not a quiet cry. They lifted up their voices and wept. And it says they wept until they had no more power to weep. That's interesting, the word power. 
Did you know that sometimes you get power to weep? And when we talk about power, it's the power to heal the sick, the power to raise the dead, the power to manifest blessings, the power to move mountains. Did you know sometimes God gives you the power to weep? This was the correct response to the situation. When you've lost everything, what you should do is mourn. When you experience great loss, you must respond to great loss with great mourning. And you do damage to your soul if you don't allow yourself to grieve when you've had great loss. God gave them power in that moment. But it was the power to weep. When God gives you the power to weep, you better exercise that power. You better use that power. You better manifest that power. They wept, and they wept, and they wept with all of their might, they wept. With all of their strength, they wept. With all of their hearts, they wept. With a loud voice, they wept. With snot running out. And they wept until the power to weep lifted from them. And when the power to weep lifted from them, it was as if God was saying, okay, that's good for now. That's enough for now. It's good. But when the power to weep lifts, you are never at such a dangerous place as you are at the moment in which the power to weep lifts. Because when the power to weep lifts, another power comes. And it's a transitional moment. It's a turning point. Because when the power to weep lifts, you're either going to do something terrible or you're going to do something wonderful. When your season of mourning comes to an end, and the power to weep lifts, what replaces the power to weep is resolve. But sometimes that resolve is to do something evil, and sometimes that resolve is to do something good. You must be aware of what comes after weeping. Because you're either going to do something wonderful, or you're going to do something terrible. And what's the first thing that happened? When the power to weep lifted, David's men started talking about stoning him. The men of David started getting together in groups. They're like, I think this is David's fault. I think we should stone him. I think we should kill that fool. He's not our leader. What he led us, he let first he led us to this battlefield where we were we were rejected, and then he led us home where our families had been taken away, and our, we've got nothing left. We should be, if we didn't follow David, we'd be in King Saul's army right now on the battlefield. Our families would be home safe in Israel, but we're out here because we followed this fool. Let's kill him. The resolve that transpired in those men was instantly to do something terrible. Addictions are born when the power to weep lifts. You can start down a path that leads you to destruction because the power to weep just left, lifted. 
And what you better have ready at that place where the power to weep lifts is a resolve to do something wonderful. Because your, your soul needs a resolve at that moment. Your soul needs, your soul says, we got to do something. I got to do something. You better give your soul something to do, something wonderful to do, something awesome to do. And David started to hear the grumbling of his men, and he saw where this was going, that if he didn't get encouraged real quick, it was going to be the end of his life. That at that moment, he was either going to lead his men to do something wonderful, or he was going to be killed. And the scripture says, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. First, he was distressed because he heard that they were talking of stoning him, but then it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And he said, bring the ephod. He calls Abiathar the priest. Bring the ephod. The ephod was the linen garment of the priest. And they would bring the ephod, the linen garment, and then they would just inquire of the Lord. They would, they would pray. They would ask God, speak to us, God. Speak. And so David calls for the, the ephod, and then he asks, he inquires of the Lord. Listen, listen to the question he asked God. He says, Actually, I want to read this to you. I wondered if you guys can put it on the screen. I didn't ask for it. But this is verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord saying, listen to this. Shall I pursue them? Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Do you hear the depression, the discouragement that's still in David's voice? Shall I pursue them? Will I overtake them? Listen, listen, take it down from the screen, because y'all look at me for a second. You hear what David's saying? You just lost everything, and you, the question you ask the Lord is, is it even worth trying to recover it? Yeah. Should I even try to get another job? <laughs> Shall I even try to rebuild my house? Shall I pursue? Are we just wasting our energy Trying to pursue something we lost? Shall I pursue them? Shall I overtake them? Is it even worth trying? Is it even worth my effort? Let me tell you something. Some of you lost things in 2018, in 2019, in 2020, in 2021, in 2022, and that's where your heart is. Shall I even pursue restoration? Shall I even try or shall I just accept and I want you to know that the answer to that question is not obvious. Because sometimes the answer is, no, don't even pursue it. It's lost. Just rebuild. Move on. It's over. I wish I could tell you that there's restoration for every situation, but there is not. I wish I could tell you that God has promised to fix every problem. He has not. Sometimes your spouse divorces you, and you're divorced. She ain't coming back. And if you keep pursuing her after she said, leave me alone, a restraining order. That's what you have in your future. It's called harassment. There are moments where you just need to move on. But behind this, David is saying, number one, shall we even pursue them? Number two, are you going to help us overtake them? Because we don't even know which direction they went. 
It's not like David could go, they went that way. He doesn't even know how long ago they showed up. How long they've been gone. Maybe, I mean, they had probably been gone for weeks. So who knows when they came through, which direction they went, how big of a head start they have. How are we going to find them? You ever find yourself in a place of loss? You're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know which direction to move in. So God, I need your help. Shall I try? And if I try, will you help me find it? And the Lord speaks and says, pursue them. Put that up again. Pursue them. You shall overtake them. And he adds to that, it's verse 7, you shall, or verse 8, you shall recover all. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. This is the word of the Lord to David in that moment. There are some things that you lose and you never get them back, but this is not one of them. Pursue them. You shall overtake them and without fail recover all. I tell you what, if you need encouragement, that is some encouragement. <laughs> I almost said that's some encouragement for your, um, but you know, <laughs> you know that's my, my East Oakland mind comes back sometimes and I need to get it. So they can see, maybe they saw some horse tracks and they were like, well, the horse tracks lead that way. Let's go. They still don't know how far. They still don't know how long. They still don't know the way. At this moment, their pursuit is a pursuit of faith. We just think it's that way. I I just think it's that way. That's where faith begins. I think it's that way. Here's what most of us do. I'm going to sit here until God speaks to me and tells me exactly which way to go. No, 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 no. That's not faith. Faith is, I think it's that way. I just think that's where faith starts. I just think it's that way. That's where some of you are right now. I think it's that way. We'll go that way. I think it's that way. I mean, I see tracks that lead that way, so... I don't know how far that way. They might take a right turn or left turn, but if we just start going, I just believe the Lord is going to show us the way. We walk by faith and not by sight. But why is it that we demand sight before we even start walking? We walk by faith and not by sight, which means that when you begin a journey of faith, you have no clue where you're going. The Lord doesn't tell you until you need to know. By faith, Abraham journeyed to the place that the Lord promised to give him as an inheritance even though he did not know where he was going watch this if you can put up verse 10 actually put up verse 11 then they found an Egyptian in the field What did I say the title of this sermon is? Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. This Egyptian was their salvation in this situation. He didn't look like it. He was laying there at the edge of his life, ready to die. 
They brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. Put up verse 12. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread, listen to this, nor drunk water. For how long? For three days and three nights. <laughs> For how long? Verse 13, then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. Which means that exactly three days ago they were in this very spot. How far ahead of them are they? Three days. How long did it take them to get home from the battlefield? Three days, which means that at the very moment they were being rejected, their family was being ransacked yeah, yeah, yeah. the same day, which means they got rejected just in the nick of time. Yeah. Had they been rejected a day later, yeah. this Egyptian in the field would be dead because how long can you live without water? Three days. And he hadn't had no food and no water for how long? Three days and three nights. They caught this Egyptian 45 minutes before he died. At that moment, they're like, thank God we got rejected when we get, got rejected. And now when Achish says, you guys get up early tomorrow morning and leave immediately. Now all of a sudden we realize that God was in that rejection that the urgency to get out of here was God was in that urgency, that we didn't realize that in that rejection, God was sealing our victory because there's an Egyptian in the field that's waiting to tell us where to go. Mm. See, when you prolong your rejection... You're letting the Egyptian die in the field. Show me verse 14. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites and the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Verse 15. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? Can you show me where they are? Can you show us the rest of the way? Faith got us here. Yeah. We didn't know where we were going. We were just walking in faith. Yeah. But God had the Egyptian in the field yeah. right in the path of our faith. Yeah. What we thought God would have waiting there for us in the field was another army to help us. We were looking for somebody strong. Yeah. And what did we find? Somebody weak. Yeah. We were looking for somebody able. And what do we find? Somebody disabled. Yeah. We found this starving boy in the field. Yeah. And God says, that's all you need. All you need to find your destiny is an Egyptian boy in the field. You just need to find that starving boy in the field and save him. Yeah. And see, some of y'all have walked right over your Egyptian in the field. <laughs> Didn't give him no food and no water. And he's like, eh. 
and just keep walking in faith when the answer was right there. (laughs) See, sometimes... Sometimes the Egyptian in the field are the people around you that you just refuse to listen to. I can't tell you how many times. Okay, so first and foremost, y'all know I've had a weight problem since I was in college. I start my first day of college, I was 130. My last day of college, I was 230. And it was a four-year degree. I, I finished it in four years. So I've struggled with my weight ever since then. But one of the things I'm realizing is really hard for me to do. I, 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 you want to, you, uh, just to give you an example of my weight problem. So Pastor Chinway has a friend who makes desserts. She makes cakes like you'd never tasted before. And I was at their place one day and she had one of those cakes. I didn't know. I, first, she made me sign a waiver before test, tasting it. I'm like, what's this waiver for? We are not liable for heart attack, stroke. What? What? I took one bite of that cake and lost 20% of my vision. I took the second bite. They had to cut my toe off. I took the third bite. The left side of my body shut down. Do you know I finished that that slice of cake with the right side of my mouth? (laughs) Okay, never mind. Anyway, the point was that was some good cake. But I, I couldn't stop eating it. Every bite, I'm like, this is diabetes on a plate. And I still can't stop. And I still can't stop. Well, I've been crying out to the Lord, especially towards the end of last year, because I went and got all my blood tests done, and the doctor was like, you got some issues here, and I'm going to see you again in February, and if you're not in a different place, here's the medications you're going to have to go on. It's not good. It's not, it's not good. But even then, I couldn't stop. And I started crying out to the Lord saying, you got to give me discipline. You got to help me. You got to help me. You got to help me. And a week ago on Saturday, this burst of discipline came. The thing you need to understand about your willpower is that you do not have 24-7 access to it. Secondly, access to it comes from the Lord. So you need to be able to, you need to begin to ask God. If you've got a willpower issue in any, any area of your life, you need to ask God. You need to cry out to God. And I was crying out to God. And all of a sudden, this window happened. This window opened, and this burst of willpower came. I was like, I can do this. I just changed right now. My mind just got right. And an hour later, my brother calls me on the phone. Now, I can't tell you how many times over the years my brother's called me over the phone about getting my health right. But I never listened to him. My Egyptian in the field, I never fed him. I just stepped right over him. Just kept... But this time I was ready. And I said, okay, bro, what, what do I do? He goes, you join a gym right now. I mean, he called me. without. I never told him what was happening. I didn't tell him. God just touched my heart. He just called me out of the blue and said, join a gym right now. You're starting Monday morning. I'm sending you your workouts. And I'm sending you your meal plan. I don't want you to think about any of this. You just do exactly what's on the page. I don't want you prescribing your own workouts. And this was my problem before. I had to do everything myself. Egyptians in the field are trying to tell me where to go, and I'm like, mm-mm. God's going to lead me. 
And I'm still walking in faith when God's got an answer. Just means I got to listen to somebody else. And an hour later, my mother called me on the phone and said, I'm making soup for you. I'm bringing it to church tomorrow. You better eat it. And she brought me last Sunday a box full of individually packaged soups. And her, my mother's soup can cast out demons. <laughs> One bite. The enemy has been defeated. But you know how many times my mother has called me and offered to make me soup and I just stepped right over that Egyptian in the field. And then I got another call. But I'm not going to tell you who. But this person said, I've been, actually called my wife, I've been crying out to God for Benjamin's health and been asking God, what can I do to help him? And I had a dream that I told Benjamin, if you lose 50 pounds, I'm going to give you this much money. So tell Benjamin, I said, if he loses 50 pounds, I'm going to give him this much money. I said, glory! <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not stepping over that Egyptian in the field. Come on, somebody. I mean, most folks are lucky to get one Egyptian. I got three. I'm picking up all of them. I'm feeding all of them. I'm listening to all of them. Can you take me down to this troop? Can you show me the way? Can you show me how to get victory in this situation? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. Done deal. Verse 16. And when he had brought him down, there they were. There's your victory. There's your destiny spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Verse 17, then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day, which is crazy. It's like the moment he saw him, let's go. Boom, he attacked right there. It was like this burst of energy. He attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day, which is like 36 hours. David was in just full attack mode. And wouldn't you, if you saw your family, your wives, and your children tied up? Yeah. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men, which is another sermon. Nobody escaped except 400 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody got away except 400 people, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Verse 18. Say this together with me. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Just say the first phrase with me. So David recovered all. What did they want to do at the beginning of this, service, at this story? They wanted to flex their muscles on the battlefield. They wanted to manifest their gifts. They wanted to show what they could do. They wanted to demonstrate how powerful they were. The problem was they were on the wrong battlefield. 
God had to bring them to the right battlefield. What did they get to do at the end of the story? They got to flex their muscles. They got to manifest their gifts. They got to show how powerful they were. They got to show what they could do. And it was all set up by that one rejection that happened quickly enough. For some of you, the best thing that could happen is a quick rejection. Best thing that could happen. When you get rejected in some place, don't let it end you. Yes, take time to mourn. Take time to grieve. Don't pretend it doesn't hurt. I, I don't believe in all of that, you know, believers shouldn't mourn. No, believers should mourn just like everybody. Even Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, he still take, took time to weep over the man. But in your mourning, through your mourning, in the midst of your grief, don't allow your heart to abandon the faith that God's got you, that he knows the end from the beginning, and that he's got an Egyptian waiting in the field. You just got to walk by faith till you find the Egyptian in the field. We're going to be free in 23, my friends. We're going to be free in 23. God's got Egyptians waiting. In the, and I know many of you are at a place where you don't know which way to go. You don't know what's next for you. You don't know what path you're supposed to take. Let me tell you something, that God knows how to order your steps. The scripture says that the every step of a righteous man is ordered by God. I don't have to know where I'm going. I just have to know the one who orders my steps. And if I know the one who orders my steps and I walk with him, he's going to lead me to where I need to be. This will be a year of recovery for you. This will be a year of recovery for you. This will be a year of recovery. And this is the most powerful thing. That now, David and his men got to fight a battle, not in front of the lords of the Philistines whom they wanted to impress. They got to fight in front of their families. Who was the audience for that battle? Their families. Can you see David's wives and their children? Come on, sit down, watch this. Look at daddy. Dang, he just killed that dude. Dang. Go, daddy, go. Go, daddy, go. Ooh, he, he just took that guy's head off. <laughs> go, daddy, go. Go, daddy, go. Now, at the end of it, their families know how powerful they are. Let me ask you a question. Does your job know how powerful you are, but your family doesn't? Are you manifesting all of your prowess at work, but your kids don't know the gifts that God has given you? God is setting you up to fight for your family. Because your family is your future. And the beautiful thing about the, the, the end of this story is that what came together at the end of the story was family and destiny. Family and prosperity family and their gifts and their talents it wasn't one or the other because I hear it all the time well my wife's always complaining that I'm not home well of course I'm not home I'm out working you know because I gotta she knows that I'm pursuing you know the fullness of my future and I'm trying to fight for our family listen you better get home and fight for your family, and fight with your family. And I'm not saying don't work hard, and I'm not saying slack off at your job, and I'm not saying don't do what needs to happen, but I'm saying that when you do come home, you better fight as vehemently for your family as you fight behind your computer, but at your desk, at your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. But this is the word of the Lord to you today. That many of you are at a crossroads and you don't know which way to go. It's okay. You just keep walking in faith. God's got an Egyptian waiting in the field for you. And he knows the way. Amen. Father, I thank you that your word, it does not return to us void, does not return to you void. It accomplishes what you sent it to accomplish. So, Father, I pray that you would cause your word to settle into every heart and every soul and bring forth great fruit. Open our eyes to see the Egyptian in the field. Give us the faith to believe that if I just keep walking in faith, you're going to show me the way. That it's okay for a moment not to know where I'm going because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Your goodness and your mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because what happens in that moment where I don't know where to go is my flesh begins to conclude that you've abandoned me and that I'm by myself. And it's all up to me. And I don't know what to do. Therefore, all is lost. But I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would break the husk of the flesh and allow the kernel of the Spirit to come forth in every heart. And that kernel of faith in our hearts knows that the fact that I don't know what to do does not mean that all is lost. It simply means that it's time to walk in faith. It's time to believe. It's time to trust. Some of us have been sitting in faith when you're calling us to walk in faith. Sitting in faith. I believe God's coming. Well, then get up and walk with him. Get up and walk with him. Take some steps. Take some steps. I can't move until God tells me to move. That's not in the Bible anywhere. Walk. Faith is a walk. It's a walk. It's a walk of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. I think it's that way. Lord, I'm following you. If it's not that way, reveal it. Show me trust you. I trust you to lead me beyond my ability to follow you. I trust you to lead me beyond my ability to know the way. I trust you. I trust you. Father, I thank you that there's great victory awaiting us in 2023. We will be free in 2023. There's recovery in this year. I speak your blessing over these, your sons and daughters today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise.